Mazzarello and you're listening to The Beacon, Oxford's International Relations Society podcast. Today I'm interviewing Lama Alhelo. Uh, she is the JMS Scholar at Jesus College and the idea of the JMS Scholarship is to offer a university student from Gaza the opportunity to complete their degree in Oxford. Um, so hopefully today we're going to have uh, a talk with Lama about Gaza and hopefully get a look beyond the headlines. I think often we have quite a homogenised view of Gaza um, perceptions of it as a, an Islamist enclave ranging from that to uh, being stuck in a constant state of humanitarian crisis. So the idea is to get a, a better idea of general lived experience in Gaza. Um, so Lama, hello. Hi, Adam. Hi, yeah. um, could you like maybe just talk to us about your general background and life story and how you came to apply for the JMS scholarship? Um, so general background and life story. So I grew up in Gaza, obviously, for the first three years of my life. Mm-hmm. I was born um, in 1997. Um, so I lived three years in Gaza, and then my family traveled to Canada for a couple of years. Okay. Um, and after that, I went back to Gaza around 2005, 2006, and stayed there up until I came here. Um, so when I started applying to Oxford, I was in my first year of university studying English language and literature at the Islamic University. And I just found out about the scholarship that offers a chance for a Gaza student to come and study at Oxford. And I thought it would be, like, I thought it would never happen. It wouldn't be a possibility because it was, like, semi-impossible. Like, how would just a random student from Gaza get accepted into Oxford? But I essentially thought, like, I have nothing to lose. I'm already, like, in my first year in university. And even if I don't get it, it doesn't really matter. So I applied to do Italian and linguistics. And when I got an interview, it was just crazy. It was, like semi-unbelievable um so I just went with it and generally until the last second I thought I wouldn't even get here even after I got accepted which was amazing but because there was a huge like blockade in Gaza I still thought okay I got accepted like what's the possibility of me even getting out essentially um so even until the last second I thought I wouldn't come here but eventually it did happen and I did get out which was also another long story of how I got out of Gaza um, Do you maybe want to talk about some of the logistical difficulties of actually yeah. traveling to the UK? So essentially, it's not just traveling to the UK, it's getting out of Gaza is like the most difficult part because you have to apply for a permit to get out of Gaza and go to Jordan. Um, so what I needed to do is I was applying for another exchange program in the US at that time. So that exchange program required me to apply for a permit to go to do my interview at the US Embassy in Jerusalem. Or what was it in Jerusalem at that time? It was, it was, so this was in Tel Aviv, but um, essentially I had an interview in Jerusalem for my American visa, but I didn't get that permit. So um, we waited for another permit for me to go straight to Jordan and do my interview there so I could go to the US. And the only reason I got that permit extremely late, so I was only told the night before that I was traveling tomorrow. So I so essentially had to pack within a night and like be ready to just leave home for God knows how long, in like one night. So that was really crazy. And um, the only reason I got that permit is because the people behind the exchange program had connections in like the US embassy in Israel, and that's the only way I was able to get that permit. So it was via connections in this random exchange program that I got accepted into um, with the Department of State. So if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have gotten out of Gaza to begin with because getting permits is incredibly hard and people have been waiting 
like months if not years to get their permits mm. and a lot of them miss scholarships and miss a lot of opportunities abroad because they can't get mm. out because of the blockade so after so that's when I got out of Gaza and I stayed in the US and I was when I was done with the exchange program I stayed in Jordan for a bit and applied for my um, UK student visa from Jordan and that's how I was able to eventually get here essentially but yeah that's the story of how I got um, I found the Oxford scholarship and eventually ended up here. And you've been here for one term um, so uh-huh. far, this is your second time. So what's your experience of university life in Oxford compared to what it was like at the University of Gaza? Um, it's like a hundred times more intense, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I was expecting Oxford to be um, hard, obviously, because it's Oxford, but it's been quite a challenge trying to adapt to like the amount of responsibilities that you have as soon as you're here, because the university back home was, like, it wasn't a piece of cake, it was also hard, but... Because I was doing English, I felt like I had some sort of advantage because I was already... So your degree is... English language and literature. Okay. So the first year there was purely just Arabic subjects that you were supposed to do because you're in the Islamic University and just basic English things, like maybe just English grammar, English, like reading a little bit of literature, like like Audubus or stuff that are just... I knew before I got there because I really loved English and I used to like read a lot and watch a lot of films and movies so I thought I had it so it was quite it wasn't easy but it was manageable I really enjoyed it but as soon as I came to Oxford it was like you need to put in so much more effort and just be more committed to what you're doing which I thought was it was really challenging and I learned a lot but it was it was hard to adapt to at first. Do you think there are particular challenges of being a, an international student at university compared to um, home students? Or That was also a challenge, but I think basically one of the main ones, because I was also doing a language from scratch, so that was also really hard, and because I thought we'd go into it slightly, maybe slowly learn things like one at a time, but I feel like we were thrown into this language, which was challenging. It may not have like all negative, it was really fun and challenging, but it essentially needs um, getting used to. But yeah, an international student did have its ups and downs being an international student, but I feel it was just more the Oxford life that needed adapting to. Because I didn't really struggle with um, making friends or having a social life. I feel like that went really well. Everyone here is like super nice and um, I didn't really struggle with that aspect. I felt a way like being... Um, Um, feeling homesick. I struggled mm. with feeling homesick for um, a bit, but it didn't really affect me that much because of the really good community around me. I guess it's I guess it's quite interesting for you because it's not like you've left Gaza and you can fly back at any time. No. It's like you've left your family and you're mm-hmm. not. I don't know. You're not sure maybe when you'll see them again or mm-hmm. when you'll next be able to travel back to Gaza. Yeah, I think that's what's pushing me to make even more friends. Because I do not know when I'll be, like, going home or if I'll ever be going home in the, like, next four years. So I have to, like, create a second family, if that makes sense. So I think that was more of a motivation to really open up to people and, like, be more friendly and just make friends. Because I do realize that I can't go back home anytime soon. So I have to, like, make a second family in the UK, which which isn't isn't, isn't proving to be really hard. Okay. Um, So... Obviously, since 2006, Gaza's kind of witnessed three wars. Um, It's experienced naval blockades. It's going through a humanitarian crisis at the moment. Just before the new year, Donald Trump declared Jerusalem the de facto capital of Israel. um, And there were calls for an intifada um, before the new year as well. Um, Maybe do you want to begin by talking about that, but then talk about 
common misconception do you think people have about Gaza based on the fact that that's all we see in the headlines? That's mm-hmm. the kind of only image that we that we get of Gaza. Yeah, I mean, do you realize it's the only image that have this? It's not. It's a. It's a funny but a quite sad story as well. So when I heard about the Intifada and all the things going on back home, I was actually in an airport at six a.m. Um, in London because I was heading to Italy for a week. And um, I saw the news on the TV in the airport, and I felt like um, Tom Hanks from the terminal, if you ever watched that movie, where he sees um, news about the war back home in, the, like, in an airport, and suddenly he bursts out crying. Yeah. I didn't burst out crying, but I genuinely felt like Tom Hanks in that moment, because you're so away from, far from home, and you only see like stuff on the television, and you could sort of, sort of understand what other people see, because this is all, all they're seeing, but it's yeah. not obviously all it. Um, so yeah, our reaction to it really sucked. Um, Are there any particular parts of Gaza that, you, that beautiful parts of Gaza that come to your mind when you when you really like miss home or think about home? Yeah, essentially. So one of the best parts of like um, my most amazing memories in Gaza, which is, I don't know a lot of Gazans would agree, would be the sea. Mm-hmm. So even though it's like really polluted and not that clean anymore. But it's the only place that we could go whenever we feel like a bit suffocated because yeah. Gaza is quite small and is quite overpopulated. So whenever yeah. anyone wants to go, just to take a deep, like, to, so for some fresh air, even though it's not that fresh. But still, we go to the sea. I have a lot of good memories there, especially during the summer. So the entirety of like our families, which is quite a lot of people, like at least forty, because Arabic families are known to be have have huge numbers. We'd we'd head to the sea and just spend an entire day there in a tent and just have lunch and breakfast and swim the entire day. So those were my best childhood memories, essentially, of Gaza. And even when I grew up, even though we stopped swimming in the sea because it's not that clean anymore, but we'd still go there every other day and just have lunch or, yeah. or some snacks there, and it's really nice. Also, the markets in Gaza are really... They're not nice, but you can still feel that they're home. Yeah. So even though they're, like, really messy and, like, just donkeys and horses everywhere yeah, yeah. and fruits, and it's really insane, but it's still, like, a sense of home is something that you're used to and just a place where you go every other week to get all your, like, home essentials. So those are the two places that whenever someone mentions Gaza to me are what pops into my head. And what's the what's the uh, Gazan food that you miss most or Palestinian food? Do you miss makrube or everything? Everything that my grandma made okay. is I miss. Like she had a touch of magic essentially for whatever she did. So yeah, makrube is like something I definitely miss. But we also have mafsul in Gaza. Okay, what's mafsul? I'm so bad. I am the worst in the kitchen. I don't even know what I'm eating essentially <laughs> most of the times. But it's also another like Gazan dish, which is I mean, it's not Gazan. I think it's Middle Eastern in general. Okay. But um, my grandma makes it amazingly well. Um, like maftoul ma'luba, um, a lot essentially whatever my grandma made it, uh, made whatever my grandma made was what I missed is what I missed the most. Okay. Uh, no, yeah, no, grandma's food is also amazing. I know. So, sorry, mom. I love, I love my mom's food as well. I feel like I totally laughed. My mom's food is also amazing, but like, I feel like she would also agree when I say my grandma's food is also really good. Um, and what's, what's the kind of cultural life like in Gaza? I mean, are there theatres? Do people go to the cinema? Or um, are there art exhibitions? Is there graffiti? So cinemas didn't open until like recently, about last year, when there were a group of um, young students... Um, wanted to start it, so it started out just um, showing cartoons or like really, um, I guess, appropriate films, if you could say. Um, so that only started about last year or the year before that. So there weren't cinemas when I was growing up, 
But um, the theater also is also something recent. So there is a group, um, there is an institution called Tamir, um, which has a lot of talented young actors and actresses who um, dream of working in the theater, the cinema, and it's really nice. It's such a nice group. And they started um, this small theater that they do every once in a while. So there are plays there that they do for also young children and just for members of the community. So that's really nice. Um, but I've never been to art exhibitions, but there are a lot of young artists in Gaza, like Malak Matar and Hamad Qareqa, who are just insanely talented, and you could find them easily on Instagram, and they're also just amazing, and their works are really appreciated, appreciated mm. and valued by the community, and people pay them to draw things about Gaza or Palestine or just anything, because they're just incredibly talented. So I would say there is like a real appreciation for art amongst the community, and um, yeah, it just needs to grow, and it is growing with the upcoming generation. It's really nice to see. And I think maybe people tend to have a certain image about Gaza based on the fact that Hamas have been in charge since 2006, and maybe that, that reflects itself in a more conservative form of Islam being present in Gaza. Um, I was wondering how that kind of fits with your everyday experience of religion, or um, and maybe also your everyday experience of the role of women in Gazan society. Um, yeah, so talking about the everyday experience of religion, for example, the only thing that I guess would make someone assume that Gazans are really religious is that we pray five times a day. But other than that, which what all Muslims do, essentially, but other than that, there's nothing huge in our everyday to day life that would reflect um, being too conservative. Like, I know a lot, so the role of women, for example, like if you want to talk about the hijab, the majority of Muslims, Muslim women, do wear the hijab back in Gaza, but it's not all of them. It's something that you could wear or not wear freely. Um, there would be judgment still in Gaza of some sort, but it's not... Because uh, I did live through it. Like, I lived through it. I grew up like that. But it's not harsh or something that affects anyone, essentially. Um... The role of women to everyday life is really important back home and it has been changing ever since I grew up as well because growing up there was this image that girls used to have is that they need to grow up and get married and just continue this image of, I'm going away in my answer, is that <laughs> they, like that women need to grow up and um, get married and start a household and that's like the only future that they could possibly have but and I thought I never liked that to be honest while growing up and I thought it was only me but when I went to university and met a lot of like when I say a lot I mean a lot of other girls that did not share the same opinion it was not mind-blowing to me but it was really fascinating to see that yeah I grew up with this some sort of image in school of other girls agreeing and talking about marriage and those kind of things because it is an image that you have back home growing up as a girl but when you go to university and meet a lot of like-minded people it changed your perspective of what's going on so I guess maybe tradition plays more of a role in this than religion um in what women think that they're supposed to do in community or what role they're supposed to have um, do you think any of your views have particularly changed um, having since moving to the UK? Or I feel like they haven't changed, but maybe they've been enforced. Like, okay. in, or maybe, like, not enforced, that's not the word. Maybe, like, strengthened, mm. if that makes sense. Because now I believe more in what I used to believe in before I came here. Because I always thought that, um, like, no, my only destiny isn't just to get up, like, grow up and get married after I graduate and then just sit at home and not do anything which is a traditional view that some people have back home of women but um, 
which is which I which is like also a mis like um conception that people have that not all people in Gaza are like that. So I guess what I do want to say is about my what I think currently is um the view in Gaza about the role of women, is that young girls are growing up knowing that they can choose what they want to do in yeah. their future. Like, it's completely fine if you want to get married and make a family. That's completely fine. And I women back home know that. But they also know it's completely fine if you do want to grow up and pursue whatever you want to pursue, like whatever career you hopefully want to pursue. If you want to go abroad, if you want to study, if you want to do this, if you want to do that. I'm truly noticing that this is changing, especially amongst my friends, because as, like, if you want to talk about something completely recently, my friend applied for an exchange program, I think about two summers ago, to mm. go abroad and travel. But her parents refused because, like, oh, you're a girl, how could you travel on your own? But two years later, she applied to another one and got accepted again, and now they're completely fine with it. Now yeah. it's, like, within the span of, like, a really short time of two years, their mind changed, which yeah. is, like, really amazing to see. So I'm witnessing these things firsthand that people are changing, and it's just, it's really nice to see because I truly believe that. And, like, if you mention so anything about, like, feminism or, like, just that women need to have the freedom choosing what they want and just not being strained about what society thinks about them or what things they want to do. I'm really passionate about those kind of things, especially because I used to give... It was a debate course back home in university. I used to give it, but I also used to really be careful about telling the girls that they could do whatever they want after they graduate and being, like, really there for them and giving them advice about being powerful and strong and not really caring about what other people think. So those are just stuff that I'm really passionate about. I'm just really nice to see that um, this is changing and it's it's just nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of role do you think social media is playing maybe in changing attitudes in, in that way or just more generally in the lives of young Palestinian people? I think social media is as important back home in Gaza as it is to like whatever teenager community there is anywhere in the world. It does play a huge role, especially um, Instagram and like, I mean, Facebook isn't that much because it's not as cool <laughs> anymore <laughs> if you can say that. But um, especially Instagram and Twitter play a huge role back home because everyone has those kind of things and it gives us Especially on Twitter, I would say. It gives teenagers and, like, the young generation a place to express themselves freely. Because if you do follow Gazan um, people on Twitter, we do go through times where we're completely depressed and, like, sad. Or not depressed, but just generally frustrated mm-hmm. with how things are in Gaza. Like, if you talk about, like, unemployment and... Um, just the general hardships that we go through and frustration about stuff like hearing a drone at 12 a.m. in the middle of the night and not being able to go to bed because you have an exam tomorrow those like social media gives you a place where you can express these things um so yeah I think that's the most important role that it plays it's giving the community especially the young community a place to express these sort of frustrations where they feel that they're heard if not even by the world around them but at least by each other Mm. so I think that's the most important role that social media plays for us, essentially, personally. And what's your... When you see Gaza in the news in the UK, or if you're reading a newspaper or, or online, mm-hmm. what's the what's the kind of emotion... What's your emotional response to that? Or what's the, the impression you get? I mean, I'm sure it's really different than what anyone else would get. So when I do read that, I know what truly is going on. I know if it's something incredibly serious that I need to be worried about or not. 
and this this may seem harsh or like really sad, but I remember I was in the U.S. and um, there was bombing going on back home, and I remember in the middle of the night, my friends just woke me up and being like, "Mama, I'm so sorry. Like, gas is being bombed right now." And I thought that it was just on fire. I thought it was done. I thought it was there was like a nuclear bomb going on or something. I thought it was just, and I freaked out. But when I actually opened the news and I read the certain places that got bombed, I was like, "Oh no, this happens like literally every other week, guys. It's completely fine. It happens. It happens when Israel just wants to like." freak us out or something and it's completely it's what she said is that you get used to places being bombed every other two weeks but it's not that serious of a thing i guess so i just like guys it's fine it happens every other week it's like nobody is hurt and i when i even and they were like just call your family like they insisted i wasn't gonna call my family because i knew everything was okay i remember texting my family and my aunt genuinely making fun of me because like are you have are you you've been away from gaza for like two weeks and there was a bombing and now you're asking about us like you were here it's completely fine um, so yeah, when I do read the news, I know what's going on and it hurts when it's something serious because when you're there, you feel that because you're physically there, you're able to share whatever pain or frustration or whatever is essentially going on because you're physically there. But when I'm not there, I feel 10 times more horrible about it if it's, if it's like serious because I feel I should be sharing something that I'm not able to share when I'm like miles and miles away but yeah it depends on depends on how serious the news is okay so would you say there's been a kind of desensitization almost um and and also if if there has like how does that influence people's um idea about the prospects for peace between Palestinians and Israelis especially among young people and people your age um, so my answer would essentially be yes. I do think there has been some sort of desensitization to the news that we hear back home. And I generally think that the reason behind this is because at some point we feel helpless, that we can't really do anything about it because we're already going through so much to begin with and we can't even solve our own problems with anything. So I don't know if you know, there's a huge electricity problem yeah. back in Gaza. When I left, we were getting electricity just three hours a day. Mm. And I remember that people went out to pro- like on protest, um, what's the word called? <laughs> to protest against this. And um, like a lot of people went out in the street. <laughs> a lot of people, should I stop? A lot of people went out in the streets to essentially show that they're not okay with this and they want this to change. But nothing happened. Like even if so, we came. We we're at this point where even if we do things, nothing is coming out of it. So we feel helpless. So I think that's the reason why all of this is going on. And regarding peace, I I'm pretty sure it affects that as well. It I like personally, I think it's hopeless, and I feel everyone in Gaza feels that same way as well. And when you see calls for solidarity with Palestine from the Palestinian diaspora in other countries, how attached do you feel to Palestinians living in other countries who've maybe never visited Palestine, but whose, say, grandparents um, were expelled during the during the Nakba or post-1948? Do you still feel like, do you consider them as Palestinian in the same way that you are? Or? So essentially after leaving home and like, meeting these kind of people that you're talking about and being from back home for a while. I can see from both views right now. When I was back home in Gaza, it felt amazing to see how they were standing with us and how even though they're living their every day-to-day life that wasn't as maybe challenging as our life was back home, they still, like you said, are in solidarity with us. They still think about us. They still, like, 
feel a connection back home even though they've never been to Palestine. So generally, for coming from a Gaza, it does mean a lot to see what Palestinian, like people who support Palestine and who support Gaza are doing, even though they think that I generally don't know what they think, but I feel like I should be out like thanking them for somehow because it does feel amazing for Gaza to see that, oh yeah, the outer world does care. And I know maybe some people think that this caring doesn't do anything, but at least it lifts up our hopes somehow, if that makes sense. So yeah, it does feel amazing to see people in the diaspora or just abroad generally support Palestine. And when I did travel, I felt the need to show my Palestinian support more, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. So I do want to connect with other like people who support Palestine, who want to do out and like who want to go out and do things to show their support. So I could also be that person that lifts up a spirit of whoever back home that is watching the news and sees someone go out on a protest in the middle of the street to show that I know that you're here. I think of you. I remember you, and I. I care essentially um, and I guess it would be hard to talk about prospects for peace without mentioning Donald Trump I mean what has the reaction been to Donald Trump in Gaza mm-hmm. um, and Palestine more generally what has the reaction been I mean it was obviously shock I guess because but I do truly believe per, this, and this is purely like personally I feel like either way we would have been screwed okay, <laughs> if that, no, if that's that makes fair. sense yeah, so you don't think there's been any do you think there's been any substantive change in the situation? I don't think there has been so far, other than the whole Jerusalem thing. I feel Gazans either way knew that whatever American president was was like chosen, we would be screwed either way. So like there was a reaction, but we knew that none of like no like no president would have possibly cared for out, our outcome whatsoever, and that's I think we're desensitized where desensitization comes back because and just hopelessness generally like there's no outcome for us there's nothing there's nothing that we could possibly hope for from any le- current leader at least in the world so we didn't really care I know it sounds sad but that's I guess that's the reality I mean personally at least uh, but, okay and personally moving to you um, mm. and your future um, what are your plans in the future? Do you have any expectations of being able to return to Gaza? Mm-hmm. Or um, what do you hope to do after you've finished your degree here in mm-hmm. Oxford? I feel like plans for the future are as lost as any like 19-year-old could be. I, yeah. really, I really don't have any specific plans. Um, but regard like regarding returning to Gaza, I really hope that I could one day. I mean, I hope they're... Like, there is a possibility to build a proper like future in Gaza, and if there was, I honestly would be on the first plane back home. Mm-hmm. Because it's amazing going abroad and like having these all amazing opportunities, but just being surrounded with family and familiar things is also irreplaceable, essentially. Um, especially, I know that people view Gaza as like this horrible place where there's like high rates of unemployment, there's bombing every once in a mm-hmm. while, like essentially almost every other week. Um, and, like, all this political problems, and, like, it's blockaded and you can't travel, but, like, even though all that happens, it's still home. Like, I still love it so much, and, like, all of my life memories, essentially, are there, and the people there are just amazing, and, like, it's just, yeah, I would honestly see returning back to Gaza as a future option somehow, but hopefully only things, like, get better, and I'd actually be able to come back, I guess. And if you could paint one 
big message onto the separation wall facing both sides in the West Bank, what would it be? Um, I genuinely honestly don't know. There's just too much to say. Like, there's literally too much. But it's just a problem that none of the sides understand what the other thinks, I guess. Hmm. Have you ever met an Israeli person? I, I have met. I met Israelis while going out via Erez. So you have to go, like, via, via Israel. You have to go out. Um, so I did meet Israelis there, and I did meet one here in the UK as well. Um, but we have we only like talked once, and I don't know. I still I genuinely don't know how I feel about this because I've never really interacted with Israelis my entire life, because um, essentially Gazans are only Gazans. Israelis don't really get into Gaza. It's only in the West Bank, so I don't know how I feel about it yet. But um, do you think that has an effect on? Um the difference is there maybe a difference between uh, Palestinian youth in Gaza and Palestinian youth in the West Bank if the Palestinian youth in the West Bank have like, that everyday experience of yeah it is horrible what you see what's going on in the West Bank um, I honestly generally don't know what message I would paint because I still there's a lot of feelings going on inside of me when you mention Israel like it's all a lot of anger and hurt and just I generally wouldn't know what to put on the wall because there's just too much to say mm. like you mentioned that and I think about all the wars that I grew up with and everything that I've seen people that I love and care about go through and just the country that I genuinely care about and feel that I belong to and like there's just too much to say and too like words wouldn't be able to describe the thoughts and feelings going on inside of me right now I guess okay do you lay any blame at all um, with the Palestinian leadership for the situation in, in Gaza, the West Bank? Oh, that's an intense question. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <clears throat> obviously, um, there is blame to be shared. There's no, like, just leadership in general in our world right now is quite messed up. One of the one of the charges that's often made against other Arab leaders in the Middle East is that they use the Palestinian issue as a uh, as a touchstone issue to control their own populations um, in some cases. Do you think there is genuine Palestinian solidarity across the Middle East in, in, Middle e- in other Middle Eastern countries? I mean, among the people, there obviously is. Like, I'm not, like, regardless of whatever their leaders think or do, it's amazing seeing how, like, communities... Like, I don't know. I remember the last tour, I saw, like, pictures of millions of people in, like, not only just Middle Eastern countries, but also, like, countries in the West just going out in the streets showing their solidarity. So, obviously, the people show huge support for Palestine. But because I've also, during the summer, on the exchange program that I went to, I met people from, like, actual, like, young people from other countries in the Middle East, like Iraq, Egypt, um, Tunisia, like, a lot of uh, countries in the Middle East, and they do follow up on our news, and they do care about it a lot. And maybe even more than I do personally in Gaza. So there is solidarity and like among the people of other countries in the Middle East and it's really nice to see and witness firsthand. Okay, so wrapping things up with one last question. Is there one motto that you try and live your life by? Um, so I think it's, it's not a motto, but it's actually something I keep telling myself, um, which is what do I have to lose? Which I think is what brought me here talking to you today and it's mm. what I kept saying to ev- literally everyone I knew back home who keeps coming to me asking for advice or like what am I supposed to do about this or or if I want to encourage them to do something that they're incredibly scared about especially if it pushes them outside of their comfort zone um and I'm sure if they like if you ask any of my friends back home they tell like about the one thing that I always tell them they 
say that Lama says, what do you have to lose? Just do something because just what do you have to lose, essentially. Lama and hello, thank you so much for coming in and doing this interview with me. This has been the Oxford International Relations Society podcast. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it. And if you have, give us a like, a rate or a subscribe on any of the podcast services you use. And make sure to check out our events as well on the IRSOC page on Facebook and also on the website.